0: Oh, Hey friends, how are you? Okay, I've tried to make this intro like five times. I keep fumbling over my words. I'm gonna do my absolute best. Um, yes, it is Tuesday. I just released a podcast episode on Monday. Why another one? Well, over the weekend, Hamas launched a surprise attack against Israel, the nation of Israel, um, killing a lot of citizens, taking people hostage, um, shooting at people who were at a concert, etc. And Israel has responded by... Absolutely cutting off what what seems to be like all electricity and really any supplies to the Gaza Strip, and um, has been bombing it ever since. And this is not good. This is not good for a lot of reasons. And I'm sure if you've been on the internet, you've seen a thousand and one different takes and opinions on how you need to see this conflict. And so what I'm doing is I am not an expert in foreign relations. I don't even know. a moderate amount of details of how we even got here besides what I see in the news. So, I'm going to be doing a three-part series this week. I've been bringing on some people who have studied this stuff extensively just to give us the the what is actually happening. How did we get here? What are the ingredients at play that have led us to this moment where there is so much more bloodshed happening? I mean, kids are dying, friends. It is a dire situation. People who are just trying to live their life, who ended up in situations that they had no control over, are suffering immensely. So, I'm doing a three-part series part one is just the history of palestine and israel how do we get here part two is going to be a history of christian zionism what is the evangelical tradition that many of us have come out of what has it taught us what is it um what, what how has it how has it impacted the situation between israel and palestine and then i'm going to be uh, talking about the actual conflict um, that's happening right now, the one that we are currently witnessing happen in real time. Um, as I'm saying this, I'm looking at pictures on the on the news. One is of a child with a bloody head screaming uh, while his dad holds him. And listen, as a parent, man, it just really gets me choked up to think about the reality that right now there are people in these situations that are just suffering immensely. So the goal of, of, of this series is not... To give you my opinion of, although of course in the conversation I offer my feedback as I'm talking to my guests, the goal is to educate you. The goal is to give you guys some kind of foundation to have some different kinds of uh, maybe a different kind of lens to see what's happening between Israel and Palestine, the history, again, how we got here, the Christian involvement that has pushed for some of these things, and of course the conflict that's currently happening and why it's historic. So that's what's coming your way the next three days. I'm not talking about this Conflict between. Sorry, I'm, I'm. I should rephrase that. I'm not talking about the situation in in on my Instagram or on Twitter or on Threads. This is way too complicated. And I re, honestly, frankly, I've seen other creators getting death threats uh, over whatever they say, making someone angry enough to send them that. I'm just not in a place where I want to get a death threat. I have a family, and so my my take was let's just do it. Let, let's do this conversation justice, and it needs long form conversation, and it needs people. Who who know what they're talking about to help us inform the story. That being said, one, two, or three people can't possibly give you all the detail, all the nuance. And like we will hear with my first guest, Kevin, he says right from the outset that this is hardly an objective data-driven conversation, meaning, yes, there are data points, there are things that have happened, but there are a lot of layers that have gone into this and depending on who you are and, 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 you know, if you're living in Israel or Palestine, you see the same information very differently. We have to, we have to remind ourselves of that. Lastly, what I'll say is as an organization, we have a very strict policy of non-dehumanization and I don't care, um, who you are or who you're not. Um, our goal is never to dehumanize the other, Um, as much as humanly possible. But we don't wanna shy away from the reality of the situation. So this is a heavy topic, this is a heavy conversation. I expect it only to get heavier as we have more of these interviews over the next coming days. Um, Like I said, we're we're gonna have two more episodes out about this on top of this one. And I would love your feedback, I would love your feedback. A lot of you send me emails uh, letting you know, letting me know your thoughts on stuff and I would love to know what you thought about this one and how we can handle this topic. Um, as respectfully as possible. And um, yeah, just doing our best to give you guys the information and letting you make your judgment calls personally. Uh, Friends. Yeah, that's where I'm at. All right, long intro, I know, but I wanted to get that off my chest and kind of set, set up the the next couple of days here. So I am off to plan the next couple of recordings. Here's this interview with Kevin. He is a scholar. He is someone who teaches on Christian ethics. He is someone who uh, has spoken a lot about the just war theory and all that kind of stuff. And I think you'll hear in the interview, he is very knowledgeable. He's been um, to Gaza. He's been to Israel many times, um, and yeah, he's someone that I think really helped me understand the history of what led up to what we're seeing today. Let me know what you think. Talk to you all soon. All right. Well, um, man, this is going to be an interesting week for me as a creator and podcast person trying to put together uh, a three part series trying to help people, including myself, really understand um, what is happening between Israel and Palestine right now. So friends, I'm welcome. I'm delighted to have on the show, uh, Dr. Kevin Carnahan. Thank you so much for making time. I appreciate you. Really, I texted you, I think, 24 hours ago and uh, 24 hours later, here we are. So thanks for making time. It means a lot. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, just a brief, you know, uh, about you, um, you know, w- what you studied, and then we'll kind of get into it.
1: So uh, I'm Kevin Carnahan. I am a professor at Central Methodist University. Uh, for anybody who can see, the hat is not Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, it's Central <laughs> Methodist <laughs> University. Um, yeah. I uh, trained uh, with Robin Levin in Christian ethics down at Southern Methodist University. And so I studied kind of political theology and uh, philosophy and ethics there there. Um, I've come out and I've done work on like just war theory and uh, a little bit on Israel-Palestine, the history and the conflicts there and applying like just war theory and uh, Christian thought about violence to the area. Um, so uh, I've also been, uh, was the editor of the Journal of the Society of Christian Ethics uh, in case people wonder if I actually know what I'm talking about. I don't know that that <laughs> actually secures anything, but uh, yeah, so I have I have some qualifications.
0: Well, listen, I want to preface for the audience. This is a very um, um, heated topic. It's very volatile. Uh, We also, I think most of my audience is in the American context, and we also have another layer of just being so removed from the culture and area of of Palestine and Israel and what's going on there. And of course, you know, we, we try and get news from media, but everyone has their own bias to it. So, you know, friends, the goal of, of this series is really just to do my due diligence because I'm not an expert on this, but I wanted to bring in some folks who, you know, know at least a little bit when it comes to these issues and helping us kind of navigate first how to understand what actually led up to this point, um, uh, the history of even our own Christian tradition, uh, Christian Zionism. We'll get to that uh, on, on the next episode. And then we're going to talk about the actual current conflict that's happening right now uh, between Israel and Palestine. So I just want to kind of prep that, you know, we are dealing with with sensitive things. We acknowledge that. We want to be as careful as we can. And we also we don't want to minimize the reality of the history. Um, um it's important that we know what's going on. So I know, Kevin. Anything else that you want to add to that as a kind of a preface or caveat? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll just say this: everything is contested in this uh, conflict. Even what you call the land at any given point, whether you call it Palestine, while you call it Judea and Samaria, like the, the very basics of it, you can find. Uh, you know, Yasser Arafat at one point like denied that the Temple Mount was where the temple was, which is really strange because, like, even in the Muslim tradition, that's pretty much where the temple is. Everything is contested. And so everybody's coming from a particular perspective. Um, There's no like one objective take on it. Um, uh, So I'll I'll just say for myself, I am uh, a kind of Christian realist, which is to say I'm coming from a kind of Augustinian perspective that says, um, what we're involved in, in history is conflicts between people that are both the image of God and sinful people that, uh, are at times selfish, at times distort the world in how we see it. And so we look at conflicts and we expect to find kind of tragic conflicts between people. Um, I'm definitely not, uh, approaching from like a Christian Zionist perspective or anything like that, that expects to find like the end of the world coming or that being, uh, you know, um, uh, Precipitated by anything that's happening. Uh, quite the opposite. I think that these are very human conflicts, and that we ought to uh, analyze them in terms of our own very finite, sinful, and yet uh, you know, in particularly human ways, dignified uh, ways of looking at all of these things.
0: So, yeah, I think I think that that's really helpful. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think. When, when, when we come out of out of fundamentalism, right, um, we go, man, I was taught that everything is evil, wicked, and depraved, and that wasn't the case. And then we can go to the other side where it's like, well, everything is just always innately good. And the reality is that life is complicated and kind of a mix, and people can be both good and bad. I mean, I've done good, I've done bad. I'm sure the same goes for you and our audience, right? And so I think it's important that we do our best to, just to remember that, I don't know, I'm not sure about you, Kevin, but, but, but the more I, I've studied just things in general, the more I'm like, you know, things I was taught that were really black and white, like these were the good guys, these were the bad guys. It's not nearly that black and white when you start understanding the nuance and context of any given situation. So, um, okay. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. I want to start here. I want to dig into the history. I don't think a lot of us even know how this Palestine-Israel conflict over the past couple of decades has even come to exist. Can you kind of give us a history of, I mean, Israel, as far as I know, as a nation was recognized by the U.S. I think in the 1940s, like 1946, something like that. But what was there before Israel was there. And how do we get to the nation state of Israel? Like, how does that story unfold for us?
1: Okay, so good. And we immediately get into things that are contested. um, Because you'll often hear people on the Palestinian (laughs) side say, well, this was Palestinian territory until Israel showed up. Um, And people on the kind of Israeli side will say, oh, no, 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 there was no such thing as Palestine. Um, And Mm. both of those have some things going for them. Um, So let's back up. Uh, really to um, before uh, kind of the 1915s, before World War I. It's a good place to start. Um, And there, what we find is uh, the Ottoman Empire. That is this Muslim empire that's over the region. And uh, what's important to understand for the context is the economics of the Ottoman Empire, which were kind of like what you would think of as like a feudal, uh, economics. So, in the feudal system, if anybody knows the feudal system, goes back to like kings and lords and serfs and all that. Um, mm. There are there are like people who own the land and they're separate from the people who work on the land, right? Got it. And so, in the Ottoman Empire, there are these kind of there are people who own the land, but they're primarily not in Palestine. They're outside of Palestine. And the people who work on the land, who actually live there and work the land, kind of function like a labor class. They work the land that belongs to somebody else. They uh, pay part of that out to the people, basically like, because they're renting the land from them, right? But as long as you're in that economy, it's stable enough that you feel like, okay, this is what my life is like. I'm on this land. I don't own this land, but it's my home, right? Mm, um, mm, I'm I'm the person yeah. who's here. I work this land. This is my place. Um, okay. And one of the that, problems- like, it, it, it,
0: yeah. Just make sure I understand that. So essentially it's like- I know that, like technically, you know, um, I don't know, maybe maybe this isn't the best example, but you know, if you rent it for ten years at a place, it really becomes your home, even though technically you don't own it. You're still, it's still your spot. You still feel a sense of belonging and identity to that place. Yes, is that kind of the vibe? Yeah,
1: that is, and it's in it's in a system where the, the entire system is set up like that, right? And okay. it's like so there there just isn't such a thing as people that own like private homes, and like that's not the way that the economy functions primarily. Okay. Um, so so that was kind of stable. And part of what's happening here is the clash of a kind of European individualist economy coming in and uh, replacing uh, an older, almost feudal economy uh, in the process. And the people who are there not understanding exactly what's going on at the beginning mm. and losing land out to this like developing uh, capitalist system of private ownership uh, that's going to displace them and that's actually the first in a set of dominoes that's just gonna fall as we move forward how
0: did how did that? Uh, you know, capitalist, individualist society—you know—idea kind of get to the Ottoman Empire in the first place.
1: Okay, so to get to that, we need to go ahead to like World War One. Uh, so a couple of things that are happening around there. I mean, number one, anti-Semitism um, in Europe. We have the Ashkenazi Jews um, who are spread out in the diaspora, and uh, of course, throughout the Middle Ages. I mean, Christianity just has been miserable to these people, um, has been largely anti-Semitic throughout the Middle Ages, blaming them for like... Jesus dying and the black plague and like everything else you could blame people for, right? Yeah. Um, Jewish communities basically uh, in Europe they they form ghettos in order to survive through that period but mm. at the enlightenment things start to open up and Jews start to come out and they think, oh, maybe there are some other options for us, like what are we going to do about this? Um, some of them start to think uh, in the direction of kinds of Zionism Now Zionism in, in general is just the idea that that the Jewish people should have their own land. Okay, and it comes in different forms. Some some people are not religious about this at all. They're just like, for our own security, we need a place to live.
0: Right? Pragmatically, yeah.
1: We need we need need police. We need an army. We need this. Right? Um, Actually, religious Zionism is not big in the beginning of Israel. Um, If you go back to the uh, to the end of uh, like the New Testament period, there were Jews that rebelled against Rome, and they're the ones that got everybody kicked out. And so Mm -hmm. uh, Orthodox Judaism for a long time, for like 2,000 years after that, pretty much like, eh, you know, we really shouldn't be uh, taking back the land on our own. Let's wait for God to give it back to us. Mm, got it. Um, so it's actually kind of uh, oftentimes secular Jews that are the first Zionists that start saying, we, we maybe ought to have our own territory. And they actually think about doing that not in Israel. Um, some of the first ideas are to take over uh, land in like Africa and uh, start like a, a state of Israel there or something. But so can I? Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm going to interrupt you a lot. Okay, yeah, go me. ahead. I, I, I'm trying to make sure that, that we're not. I want the audience to be crystal clear that because there is a lot of things that we could unpack. But just to make I'm going to repeat it to you so far to um, let you know what I've heard. So what you're saying essentially is that, hey, based on a legacy of anti-Semitism and a lot of hatred, mo- a lot from Christians, right? Whether we like it or not, it's part of our history. We have to own Um at some point, the Jewish community, and that's not monolithic, right? theres there, there, It's a big, big tent, a lot of different thoughts and ways of viewing that. But they, there, there's maybe in the air this idea of, you know, what if, you know, we found our own place to call home that we could defend, that we could maybe be protected uh, from anti-Semitism, that kind of vibe, which again, makes a lot of sense if you're a persecuted minority, um, why would, you would want to find your own place to find safety and security? Is that so far kind of the vibe? Yeah, no, that's
1: exactly right. Um, and it, and it, it's completely, irrational like there's no and there's no ill intent there's no like nothing like that it's it's about safety and i mean as history turns out they were absolutely right i mean you you can't deny what comes afterwards those early zionists were on to something um so we come to world war one and we find uh england uh, at war with the ottoman empire right um they're on the opposite sides of the war Yep. Now, England,
0: Germany, and the Ottoman Empire—is that right? Germany
1: and the Ottoman Empire, in ways, I mean, this is really strange because World War One is not like World War Two. World War One is not like the Nazis and evil against. It's a bunch of nations fighting each other for power, and the Ottomans, just for pragmatic reasons, uh, join up with Germany. They they chose the wrong side in this war, um, and England ends up gaining a foothold in the territory that uh, was like the territory of Canaan, whatever we want to call it, Palestine, Israel. And uh, in part, there's multiple things that are going on here. Um, But one of the things is they want to undermine Ottoman power. And this is Ottoman territory. And so uh, the English can say, oh, you know what, what would be a great thing to, to do is like, maybe some Jews should move, some European Jews should move back to this region like that would have European people moving into uh, like the Middle East and it would give us more of a foothold in the area, undermine Ottoman power while this is happening Um, the the British are not really fully on board with like Zionism or giving Israel a state or anything like this um, but they kind of want to encourage the movement of people in this direction because it serves a set of purposes for England at the time
0: Um, to expand their Yeah,
1: to expand their empire, to undermine the power of their enemies, to continue breaking down the Ottoman Empire, which is really going to fall apart after the First World War anyway. Um, And so during the war, actually, uh, like 1917, they put forward the Balfour Declaration. And the Balfour Declaration is this declaration that, you know, we support people who move to this region. It doesn't actually promise anything. It doesn't promise a state. It doesn't promise security. It doesn't. But it, it's this kind of general statement encouraging Ashkenazi Jews to start moving to this region. Um, and so it, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's not making any promises that England will do anything, but it's it's encouraging this movement.
0: Okay. Now, I don't want to get ahead of your story, but I when I was, you know, doing my own like Quote unquote research which is watching as many videos as I can there also seem to be British playing the other side of the field by promising was it Arabs that land as well is is that part of the story here as well yeah I
1: mean this is real pol- power politics that's happening around World War one and everybody's promising things to each other all over the place um, so England has uh, takes over uh, an area that's much bigger than the, con- the current area of Israel it would cover things like Israel the Sinai and uh, Jordan Today. And okay. so they're, they're playing off against multiple of these people making the promises. And still today, you'll see some people who are on the Israeli side of things saying, well, really, we should have gotten the entire British mandate. Like that, that was really what we were promised to get. Um, mm. Whereas the English were not being, they were not drawing lines at that point. They were kind of making vague promises to multiple people in order to get support from multiple areas. Uh, and so, and they're definitely playing people off against each other. That is the imperialist playbook is. So,
0: so yeah. England is, is essentially, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You tell me if I'm wrong here because you study this more than me. But from what I've, I know what, what, how I understand it is that England essentially is saying, hey, if you Arab folks work with us to undermine the Ottoman Empire, we'll give you this land, but also kind of starting to make deals with I'm not sure if they were, you know, Zionist or Jewish people directly, but starting to make, might, might make some deals saying, well, also to you people, you know, this sign could be yours one day, almost kind of like dangling it in front of their face. And then they're also working with the French talking about, Hey, if we conquer the Ottoman empire, we'll split it up. Right. This is and, how, and, this
1: uh, is how we'll right. divide up the land between the two of us. Um, they're it's, doing it's two
0: European powers who are like, we're going to play God with this area yeah. essentially, and, it sounds like.
1: and play God with this area in a way that makes sure that this area will never be competitive with us in the future. That's also important because because one of the things with imperialism is you want to rule an area, which means you don't want the people fighting against you. And one of the Mm. best ways to keep them from fighting against you is to keep them fighting against each other. And so the ways that the Middle East gets carved up in imperialism is in part about creating exactly the problems that we continue to deal with today. Um, wow. because they're they're putting people together in spaces where they're not going to get along with each other so that mm-hmm. they don't turn against the imperial power and fight back against
0: them wow yeah that's important and that that i mean listen i was homeschooled for most of my life i'll tell you what that was not in my history books for <laughs> intentional or not it just wasn't in there and you know it's just not how i was taught about like Why, how we got here today, you know, the way I was taught about this was a much more binary rhetorical here's the good, here's the bad, we're on the side of God, they're on the side of evil, yada, yada, yada. Okay, but this is helpful. So, friends, are this is really important. I want to talk to the audience really quick. I want to make sure that you're listening to this because already the history that 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 is giving us the ingredients that leads you know, to more and more of this escalating tension over the decades, you can see here how British imperialism, the French, et cetera, how they're kind of, you know, will, uh, what's what's the word? You know, they're they're making deals and all over the place and promising everyone, everything, uh, to win the war. Uh, and they eventually do, right? World War One happens and mm-hmm. Britain and French and their allies come out on top, right? Yep. And okay, so now it's yep. time for Britain to pay up.
1: Okay, so so what's happening is these Jews yeah. are now moving into Uh, This area, whether you call it Palestine or whatever, and they're buying land and they're buying land from those landowners, not from the people that actually are seated on the land. Right. And Mm so you'll have people that have for generations worked this land that all of a sudden find themselves evicted from their land that they've always lived on. And they don't have anything to show for it because they don't have the money that bought the land. Right. Because that went to whoever it was that owned the land. They just find themselves dispossessed, without work, without any place to go. And again, this is not like a a scheme by the Jewish people to do this or anything. They're functioning in a European economy exactly the way that you function in a European economy. They're coming in buying land. For them, this is the upright way to do it, right? You're coming in, you're buying the land, you're moving in perfectly legally. This is what's happening. But because it's the clash of these two different economies, you end up uprooting people and not having anything to do with them. And so this begins uh, the tensions between these these people who are coming into the land and the people that are feeling themselves dispossessed in the land already getting kicked off. And this is way before we actually get the state of Israel off the ground, but we're already building these tensions between the people that will become the Palestinians and the people that will become the, the Israelis.
0: Right, and that's reasonable to see because you have people, like you said, who have probably probably built families and grandparents and aunts and uncles. Right, their families have been built on this land, and then here comes these people from from Europe, right, yep. Jewish or not, they show up and they go, "Hey, we bought your land. You got to go." And you're like, "Wait, who? Wait, how? What? Who? I. Yep. I but I've been here for generations. Right. right?
1: All of a sudden, and somebody's so- building a commune and it's a kibbutz now, and you've got to figure out right. something else to do. Um, yeah, it, it's, I, it's a mess. question about
0: this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, already we're off to a bad start, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, already we're off to a bad start. Um, I'm also under the impression that prior to world war one and prior, prior to Britain doing the garbage that they did, uh, that that area uh, was predominantly, I believe, Muslim, but also had some Jews and Christians. And they got along pretty amicably overall. Is that is that the case?
1: Yeah. I, I think if people were functioning internal to the, the system, like as it existed prior to that, right, they didn't have as much conflict because you didn't have the conflicting ideas of ownership that are coming in, mm-hmm. the conflicting ideas of, you know, what it means to work the land. Um, whereas when you have these ideas coming in from Europe, as opposed to like Sephardic Jews who have been there and participating in the system the entire time, right? they work internal to the economy. So it doesn't bring about as much clash between them and other people. Um, And still today, if you find, I mean, the majority of Christians that that continue to live in the Middle East still uh, side very much more with the kind of Arab-Palestinians than they do with the Jewish state, in part because of this, because they didn't move in from the outside, right? They were there the entire time. So in some this is a clash of economies, right? Uh, Right. As much as anything else, it's a clash of economies that's going to facilitate this, right? A lot of people look at it and they think, well, this is just a religious conflict. No, I mean, this is all about politics. It's about economics. Uh, It's about, you know, the the nitty gritty of how people lived um, that set them against each other. Certainly, there are identity issues that then come to be important, but it's not just that.
0: I would imagine that 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 those economic tensions would then inflame the the religious identity issues right so we already, we were we were we were already different religiously but we were, we, were, we were able to work through it because we We're part of the same economy. We understood the rules. Yeah. Suddenly someone's coming in with different rules and now it's really a problem. Yeah. One
1: of the natures of what I would call human sinfulness, right? Is once we feel ourselves threatened, we go back into uh, a kind of uh, identitarian way of thinking like who else is like me, who can get together with me in order to fight this threat that we're, that we're now facing against. right? Right. And we have two populations, both of whom feel under threat, and appropriately so, right? The Jews that are moving in are moving in because of anti-Semitism. They're moving in because they want to be able to defend themselves. And the people who are being dispossessed of the land now feel under threat from the people that are moving in. So we have Hmm. two peoples that are kind of being oppressed and being squished into this one little land. I mean, it's just just a time bomb that's going to go off.
0: All right, so so we're what year are we even in right now? Okay, Kevin? Are we so nineteen like twenties. Like where are So
1: we? we're basically the nineteen twenties. Um, okay, we we can move forward there. There's a there's a, a slow process of Jewish people moving in. Um, it's not from it's, Europe. Yeah, yeah from, from Europe, Jewish, European Jews moving into the kind of Palestinian area. And they take over uh, some territory, mostly kind of little splotches of land, primarily up kind of in the northern part of Israel, uh, not like in Jerusalem or anything like that. Um, and they're establishing little communities. Not primarily a religious movement. Um, and then we have to, to, to jump ahead to uh, the fact that obviously brings about the, the major change, which is World War II. Um, okay, right. So World War II is going to vindicate all of the claims of the Zionists that the Jewish people needed their own state, they needed their own security. And obviously the, a lot of the Ashkenazi Jews are looking for places to get out of Europe. I mean, one of the problems in, as the, the Holocaust gets up and ramps up and starts going is that anti-Semitism is still rampant all over the place, including in the United States. So people, right. European Jews who are trying Trying to run to the United States are getting turned away by the United States they need some place to go and so over time this just increases the flow of people into Palestine um, through this same kind of process as things go now uh, obviously um, World War II is and the Holocaust uh, massive tragedy uh, it's you know, Utterly horrible, and yeah. to some, you know, to their credit, in some senses, um, the Western powers once they win World War II, they've defeated Germany. They're like, look, we need to do something to set this right. You know, they're they're like, mm-hmm. we need to do something that's going to correct for this. And the decision that they make is to, we'll recognize a state of Israel, right? Uh, And so the UN comes together in 1947 on the far side of World War II and recognizes a state of Israel. It's not what the state of Israel looks like today, uh, but it did... Um, So, if if we look at the the proportion of, like, people to land, um, at the time, about 33% of the population of, like, Israel-Palestine is Jewish. And the UN proposal gives them about 55% of the land of Israel-Palestine. Wow. And that's, I mean, you can see, again, the Western powers... They're doing a good thing. They're trying to, you know, make some things right from uh, the Holocaust and try and recognize the, the what's true from the Zionists. Of course, this is problematic, however, because this just expands out the land now right. that is going to be a Jewish state. And you have, I mean, it, it doesn't work. So you, this cannot be a democracy. Uh, from the very beginning, it can't be, because if you only have... Uh, 33% of the people, right? Uh, You're going to end up with a minority really quick. And if it's a democracy, it's not going to be a Jewish state. It's not going to be a state that uh, can actually function for the protection of the Jewish people primarily. And so something has to happen in the region to transform it if we're going to have a Jewish state, even with the UN kind of recognizing it as a state of Israel. And of course, at the same time, England entirely bugs out of the, they, they hand it, they hand it to, they say, yeah, what? you've got your own state now. We're out of here. Right. What? Um, yeah. So, no, they,
0: so Britain kind of stirs this pot and sets this, and really lights the fuse then goes, hey, it's yours now. Yeah. B. No, it's I your- mean,
1: England was tired of having to deal with the strife that they'd already kind of created between, oh. um, you know, Jewish and Palestinian peoples there. Um, they were tired of it. They knew that there was probably a war coming as soon as you made this move. They didn't want any part of it. So they hand the keys to these kind of Jewish settlers as they're leaving and say, good luck uh, with all of that. Wow. And wow. immediately in 1947, this just turns into a war. Um, as soon as the UN has declared that Israel is going to get this land, it turns into a war. Now this this then, uh, so it depends uh, which side you're on. If you're Jewish, this is the war of independence. If you're Palestinian, this is Al-Nahba, the disaster uh, that comes mm-hmm. about in 1947. So a couple of things happen that always happen in war, which is that you get everybody's got to move out of the way right as soon as we have people that are fighting over these land the common people those people that were just working the land in so much of this territory they're trying to live they're trying to live they're like we we are not going to stay here while there's tanks fighting while there's planes flying over and dropping bombs let's get out of here we'll go to
0: we got kids yeah we're out of here
1: let's go let's go to jordan we'll stay there for a couple years then we'll come back when the war is over right um and this leads to a lot of the kind of native Palestinian uh, people picking themselves up and moving themselves out of the territory. Now, this, again, this was not... Uh, an explicit plan on the part of, say, the Jewish people that were coming in. But it did serve a set of purposes for them, because they needed to establish a land that would be majority Jewish in order to have a a place that they could uh, recreate in the style of some kind of Western uh, democracy and claim democratic legitimacy and base estate. And so these These Palestinians getting up and leaving that land allows them to say, okay, you know what we're going to do while you're out, we're going to set the borders.
0: We're going to move in.
1: Right, yeah. We're, we're going to move in. We're going to set the borders because this will allow us to have our state that will actually function to defend the Jewish people. And so I mean, there's a kind of irony in this that uh, wow. the the land that's actually given to Israel in 1947, ostensibly by the UN, as if they had the ability to give it. Um,
0: right, yeah, right. Um, like, that's not even your land. Yeah, right. no,
1: it's just, it's just kind of declared by the UN. Um wow. But that land, which started out as like 55% of the land of Israel-Palestine expands across 1947 because uh, the the Israeli forces by this time, once Jewish people from Europe see this happening, they start coming in in droves, and they bring a lot of money with them, and the they have better connections to Europe, better connections to European technology, better and connections power. to modern, yeah, modern means of war. And so they end up winning this war in 1947 and actually pushing the... The uh, state much larger than it would have been when the United Nations gave it to them in the first place.
0: Okay, let's. We got to pause for a minute yeah. and we got to soak this in because this seems like it's it, it's the it's the real pivotal moment here when when we get more of what we understand to be the modern nation state of Israel uh, than maybe like in World War One. So again, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat back what I'm hearing you say. So essentially. When there's war happening, people move out of their homes for safety, and the take is, hey, while you were gone, we kind of moved in and set our borders, and then also we even kind of expanded beyond what we were, what the UN said. But also at the same time, we just had a Holocaust, right, where where, where our people experienced some of the most insane, crazy. Conditions that we were tortured, gassed women, children, you know, and there's millions of bodies that, that that we're still discovering. We need a place to get safe because where we're at's not safe. Also, we are we are Europeanized, right? So we have a Western sense of politics and culture and and finances and all that stuff. So we're bringing that with us, which is a complete oil and vinegar combination compared to like the locals right the palestinians who were there like wait what are what are you doing here like almost like i mean this is a caricature almost like hey sorry that happened to you but like you can't you can't stay here kind of vibe and 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 they were like no we're gonna stay here now yeah right no i mean you're exactly right
1: and this is and this is where the where the trouble comes from one of the problems that you get into in this conversation is like can you critique zionism Right. Can you right. critique the Jewish, uh, you know, what the, the Jewish people did when they came in? Because on the one hand, I totally, you've just emerged from the Holocaust. Right. How can anyone critique you for taking this land for your own security? On the other hand, you know, you're dispossessing millions of people from the land that they've had for generations, and you're kind of creating another problem on its own. And still today, I mean, this is from this 1947 time, there are still millions of Palestinians that think of this land inside of Israel as their land and think of themselves still as refugees that are just living outside the land, waiting until they can come back and take what their fa- the land that their family had lived on right and of course right, right. the the state of israel is like no that is just that's right. not even a a possibility that is
0: and and technically, we have the receipts to prove it was never, quote unquote, your land because you rented it. Yeah, exactly. Right?
1: And you'll, you'll hear him go back and say, well, there was no Palestine before Israel showed up, which is oh technically true. Right. I mean, there was no state of Palestine. Right. There was no. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true. Also, there right. were people living there. Um, right. It,
0: almost. This is almost like a, a clash of, well, your live, live experience doesn't match the letter of the law. And so we're gonna just say the letter, of, the letter of the law is the moral reality here, based regardless right. of your lived experience for generations. Right, and,
1: and and realize that they're bringing in a European style law with them as they do this. So it's not a law that the people understood or recognized mm, prior to wow. that. So the entire frame is changing for the people as we go through this. And again, not it's not like uh, schemes on either one of their part to screw the other, but they both end up in these positions that are, that are very hard. Everybody in Israel, every time that somebody talks about coming back and taking the land, hears, we want to kick you out so that you have to face another Holocaust. And everybody on the Palestinian side hears, every more, one more of you that comes in is just kicking us off the land more. And so uh, these two different perspectives are inevitably going to bring people uh, to loggerheads with each other uh, in violent ways.
0: Wow. yeah, okay, so' we're, we're now like in the so the nation state is established. The nation state is established. Now it's important to the say US it. the US recognizes it
1: The U.S recognizes it. We've got, by this time, there are basically uh, of kind of Palestine left. there are two different regions, and it's important to get them separated. One of them is Gaza. Gaza's kind of down in uh, the south uh, west corner of Israel and it's it's uh, along the line with Egypt and it will always be culturally more tied to Egypt. The other is what's called the western bank which is okay. actually on the eastern side of Israel but it's the western bank of the Jordan River. And so that's actually the larger of the, tr- the two it's Uh, since it's lined up with the Jordan River, it's lined up with Jordan, which is uh, across the way there. And it will be more Jordanian in culture um, as we're paying attention to these things. But in theory, those places are left as Palestine, but they're entirely separated from each other, right? They have no way to actually go across Israel, coordinate with each other, um, do anything like that. And in theory, the idea is, well, now those two areas should Develop their own uh, government, their own state, and you know they they should they should just become functional. And the way that the uh, Israelis think about it, they should basically become like a Western nation state because that's what they're used to, right? Um, they and, but the people who are in those areas have no experience with modern nation states. They have experiences with. Ottoman culture and the ways that that system functioned. So what comes out of this is uh, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, And if some people will know, like Yasser Arafat, um, often pictured he's got his kind of keffiyeh, which is the the scarf that he's got on over his head. Um, He was a major leader during this time. Um, He's... He's got ties to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and some of what are kind of contemporarily recognized as kind of radical Muslims, but he's more of a nationalist. Um, he really is more about, like, he wants a state of Palestine. But the Palestinian Liberation Organization takes first not its job to set up a state in those two places, but to try and get back the land that they had lost, And so instead of taking up a state building project in those territories that they had, they've got all of these people who think of themselves as refugees and they think, okay, what we should really do is take back the land from Israel.
0: Right. Let's get back to our place to establish the state. Yeah, we need our place back. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so. Uh, You know, there are lots of off-ramps where if something went different, if there was another possibility, right, if Yasser Arafat had decided, well, you know, let's just set up in the West Bank at this point and in Gaza a state, would it have come out different, right? Um, At that time, I suspect it's just an unimaginable decision for him because the Palestinians are so angry at having been dispossessed of their land, they don't even think of it as that would be a defeat to accept just the West Bank and Gaza as the territory territories that are there.
0: Well, to I mean listen, I'm, I want to be clear here. We can hold a lot of things at one time. We obviously can critique the nation state of Israel without saying that Jewish people don't have the right to exist. Obviously they do. We fully support that. We all all of those things go into this conversation, right? It seems like from what you're telling me though, we almost have a classic example of when the oppressed then becomes an unintentionally maybe or intentionally the oppressor of another people group to make room for them. That's what I'm kind of hearing you say here in this particular case where it's like, well, uh, you know, listen, I mean, what, in 50 years, right, one generation, right, Palestinians are like, yeah, remember 30, you know, holidays ago when we were back in our house, cozy and comfortable and like safe, and now we're a refugee trying to find out where our next meal is gonna come from, right? So it's understandable to see how, how quick things move for those people as other people from Europe, European Jews, already there's a religious difference there, now there's a cultural and economic difference came in and kind of pushed them out so i you can kind of see how that I would be angry too, frankly, you know, like, I understand that.
1: And from the other side, it's always a, it's always a security issue because these people who have been set outside, I mean, there's never a time at which there's always at the very least a low level war that's going on between the Palestinians and the Israelis. There's always, you know, attacks across these lines. And so for Israel, it actually ends up being a problem. Okay. We've got the West bank and Gaza should we not just take them out because they continue to attack the state of Israel perpetually? Right. right. So they right. continue to be a threat to us. So they don't even, they don't think of it as all as, you know, we've, we've oppressed these people. They think of it more, well, they continue to be a threat to the state of Israel. And so right. if anything, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't go easy on them. We should make sure that they don't have the capability to continue being a threat to Israel. And that's, Mm. that's the Jewish uh, view of it is, yeah, this is, uh, and again, um, there's something to be said for each of these sides. um, Uh. But it is, it's also true that. Uh, So one of the other things, uh, Christian realism, that you pay attention to is power differential. Um, So the fact that uh, the tendency is human beings are sinful, and if one side gets more power than the other, they will tend to take advantage of it in particular ways. Uh, Not because they're more sinful than the other people, but just because, well, we we tend to take advantage of things for ourselves. Um, Israel, in part because of its ties to Europe, um, and now its ties to the United States, um, ends up uh, developing uh, weaponry far ahead of what Palestinians get. They have more land than the Palestinians. Um, they have, you know, much more developed technology. All of this stuff, and there really does, over time, just come to be a massive power differential between this. Israelis will, uh, partially because of their perspective, they don't see it this way because they always feel threatened. Right? Mm-hmm. The the Israeli always feels like we're on the edge. And and fair enough, all of these Arab states that are around them keep talking about driving them off into the sea, right? I mean, you've got got Saudi Arabia, you've got Iran, you've got Iraq, all of whom, uh, you know, would like to get rid of Israel. And so Israel the entire time says, well, no, we're just doing what we need to to defend ourselves, which in Mm. some cases is true against Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Iraq. But those Palestinian (laughs) people— Don't have anything. I mean, they don't have much of a power base at all to contend against Israel. And so, between the Palestinians and the Israelis, you're getting this power differential where really Israel is massively powerful.
0: And, right. and they probably have the the again, we're a generation removed from the Holocaust for them, right? So it's not like it's that far gone. It's not. That, it's not that far back in their history. They probably have family members and grandparents who were oh yeah. who, who, who who passed away during and that
1: this time, just right? becomes a, a narrative, right? It's a, it's narrative of identity, mm-hmm. it shapes you as who you are, that you remember the Holocaust, right? Um, this is, a course, you know, right. Yom HaShoah is a kind of day of remembrance that's held in Judaism to remind people never again, never let this happen. And in many ways, the Jewish people still feel like uh the the recipients the the guarantors of this memory for the world right that and and that's that's an important moral position for us because Very god knows we screwed things up you know yeah. so
0: yeah okay um all right so so we're in the, we're in the nation state war is breaking out you know, how do things keep, it just seems like things are escalating more and more recently, but I think that from my understanding, again, there's been a kind of a history of escalations uh, regarding, you know, I, and again, this is all just, I hear this through the grapevine, so please correct me. Like, you know, there's the the Gaza, uh, Gaza Strip, and then there's a barrier that, that is set up, and then There's blockades again. I mean, how does this all kind of grow to become what it is today? So
1: uh, we were at 19, uh, we're we're in the 1940s, right? Let's jump ahead to 1967. 1967 is the Six Day War. Um, In the Six Day War, there's actually Egypt, Jordan, and Syria come in to attack. Uh, Israel. Um wow. this, is, this is a serious war, right? Um, Three nations. Yeah. Um, they <laughs> con- consistently, uh, however, the Arab nations underestimate the military power of Israel. And they come in, they attack with this hope of being able to drive Israel out. But again, Israel ends up defeating them and in the process takes even more land. Um, So what happens at this point is that the West Bank and Gaza, which had been these kind of, this was what was left of Palestine, Israel basically occupies those. So it takes over. It gets rid of any Palestinian government that was. It says, okay, no more. We're going to be in charge of security. We're going to be the police. We're going to be the people that that run everything. And the people in Palestine, uh, you basically, uh, you don't have a vote in anything. You don't. Have representation in anything? Um, You're just under the control of Israel, right? Uh, And in part, this is Israel thinks of this like uh, both in terms of security. We had they've been attacking us for so long. This is the only way we can stop them from attacking us is actually just put our police in control of them, right? Uh, also, it's a little bit punitive, right? Um, you you were part of this thing where uh, Jordan was coming in. You were part of this thing where Egypt was coming in, right? We're going to show you what happens if you participate in trying to take down the state of Israel. And so Israel now expands out to where there's still the West Bank and, the, and Gaza, but now they're not even really independent in any significant sense. Uh, so they're, they're under the control of Israel.
0: What's that? Yeah, so Israel is controlling everything as far as like their politics, their military, uh, all that kind of right. stuff. Like that becomes under the jurisdiction of Israel. Right,
1: and any government or self-autonomy that the Palestinians have, they only have because Israel allows them to have it.
0: Were, were, were those two areas population-wise, like citizen-wise? Was it a mix, a mix of Palestinians and Jewish people? Was it mainly Palestinian? It was mainly
1: Palestinian people. And you have to think about like those, those people who were refugees, like a large number of them, they had basically packed these territories. Um, right. so these they're, they're, are, they're, they're crowded. yeah, these are crowded. Um, these are massive territories down in Gaza eventually gets to be just ridiculously crowded with people. Um, and you know, Israel comes in, they take over these territories and this, the war also has a couple of other effects. Um, so one is, this is basically the beginning of the settler movement in Israel. So I've said that The Jewish people, like coming up, Orthodox Jews for most of their history had said, we aren't supposed to take back the land. God's supposed to give that to us. But after the 1967 war, they're so successful that there's a group of Jews who look at this and they say, this might be how God is giving us back the land. Right, ah. and so it's actually uh, God is kind of triggering these wars in order to allow the state of Israel to expand out, and this gives rise to like Gush Emunim, which is a, a, a settler organization that is Israeli and sees their job as to take what is left of the Palestinian land away from the Palestinians in order to make it the religious land of Israel again.
0: So. In- Okay. So this, wow. So
1: this starts after 1967. Yeah. Now I don't want to say the the settler movement is bigger than that. There are also economic things that are moving it because Jews continue to move into Israel and mm-hmm. uh, housing prices are going up in Israel. Um, Israel is becoming an uh, immensely population packed place, and so people also just need places to live. And so these settlers now will go out into the Palestinian territory and take over bits of land from the Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza. And they'll go in and uh, sometimes they go in and they'll like uh, burn the agriculture in the area so that the Palestinians don't have anything to work in order to make money, at which point the Palestinians have to move out and then they'll come in and just settle there, start building um, big apartment buildings in order to uh, house Jews that then come into the territory. And then they're expanding into these areas and the Israeli government now has a problem because they're like, we've got Jewish people moving into the Palestinian territories and that opens them up to... Attacks from Palestinians much more easily Right
0: Right, because we have Now decades of Palestinians getting Anger and angrier and angrier, yeah, and angrier yeah. about and All the stuff that's going on plus the wars yeah. they're all at war Now with each other too yes
1: and and so The state of Israel is like so we Have to decide are we going to extend Protection to These settlers that are now moving further Out into Palestinian land Or are we going to let them Like go on that go it on their own
0: uh, Yeah like like do you know uh, Move at your own yeah risk move
1: at your mind. own risk out into Palestinian areas. Well, that doesn't fly as a national thing. I mean, you don't want to see stories on the news about the Jewish people getting, you know, uh, killed by Palestinians as they've moved out. So the government starts to say basically like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we'll extend protection to these settlements that are now spreading into what's left of Palestinian areas in the West Bank and, uh, and into Gaza. Um, And this has the effect of basically even the West Bank and Gaza now just get split up into little tiny pieces where uh, the Palestinian people continue to live, oftentimes entirely separated. So if you're in one part of the West Bank, you can't get to another part of the West Bank without having to drive around a huge number of Israeli settlements, and that can take you a full day to go someplace that you could have gone in an hour previously, because now you've got to drive around the Jewish settlement that's in your way to get to like your brother's house, right? Wow. Um, and of course, Israel, in order to maintain security, has to have checkpoints every place. The Palestinian people have to be ready to produce their IDs all over the place. And because they're in such a Uh, immediate proximity to each other, Israel, in order to maintain security, has to be proactive in shutting down any movements against the people in the settlements. And so they will raid Palestinian houses where they suspect that people are planning any attacks against the settlers that are going on. Um, Wow. So this, I mean, it basically becomes, uh, so Jimmy Carter uh, called it basically a form of kind of modern apartheid, uh, that in these areas over time, what basically happens is you get an Israeli police state over the Palestinian people that live there. Right. Um, and at the same time, there are uh, again, the Palestinian people are participating in intifadas, fighting against Israel, starting low scale wars uh, repeatedly, um, as they will say. Right. It's there. It's it's all they can do because they're being kicked off of their land. They're losing their space. But Israel continues to perceive it as a, a kind of perpetual threat to the state of Israel and their security. So, so it just gets worse and worse and worse as you go.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hope the audience is hanging in there for this one. This is a very heavy topic and honestly, like the, the story you're telling me and honestly the things I've read uh, as I did, did a little more of my own deep dive, like they really cut against a lot of maybe the narratives of how I was taught to view these issues. And, I'm like, how do I wrestle with that? And it's it is very complicated. And like I understand more now, thanks to you and others, like the history and like kind of how we're getting there. But it just seems like the farther we go down this story, the more it becomes like, geez, like these Palestinian people like have lost a whole heck of a lot. But then also, you know, okay, so let me ask you this: then where does Hamas Come into the situation Because I, I'm hearing Like the word Terrorist being used To describe them When I was a kid And something would happen I would just hear From like right wing radio You know The terrorist organization Of Hamas Is just you know That is Palestine Essentially How does they How do they come on the scene And who the hell are they
1: Okay so Hamas is uh, The Islamic resistance movement That's what it means um, They come about In about 1987 During the intifadas These kind of Low scale wars Against Israel Israel fought by the Palestinian people, Um, they organized. Now, ironically, the United States and Israel fund some of the original organization of Hamas. um, Because if you go back, you remember we had the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and Yasser Arafat. That was kind of the primary uh, political organization in Palestine. Well, uh, Israel and the United States want to do a little bit of that kind of uh, imperialist stuff where they, if you keep the people fighting against themselves, they won't fight against you as much. And so, uh, in part, they encourage the, the development of this group Hamas as an alternative to the Palestinian Liberation Organization to uh, create rifts inside the Palestinian movement. Now, Hamas is based down in Gaza. Uh, primarily, whereas the okay. PLO is based mainly in, uh, in the, on the Jordan Bank.
0: So, is the PLO still around? Are they still a thing? Uh,
1: the PLO turned into Fatah, which is basically the uh, main political party that continues to okay. exist. Um, okay, they, by the uh, 1980s, uh, the PLO eventually accepted the existence of the State of Israel. Um, gotcha. like in the middle gotcha. of this uh, the PLO over time becomes a more mainstream political organization and it's actually Hamas that then takes over as the more radical uh, organization okay. right all right um, yeah. and uh, Hamas then, uh, they they take up this view, which they still hold, that Israel, the state of Israel, should not exist, and they link it more explicitly to religious claims. So oh. Hamas claims that the entire land of Israel should be uh, an Islamic quaff, an Islamic. Uh, reserve, uh, basically, for the people. And um, they they claim on religious grounds, kind of as the opposite of those Israeli settlers, right, um, mm. that no, 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 we are in fact in this for Islam, and Israel cannot exist as a matter of our faith. Um, mm. So Hamas ends up Taking over, kind of ironically, as the more radical. And in the United States, they're often associated with like the suicide bombings of. Uh, like the nineteen nineties that were going on, um, they've actually renounced that. Since uh, two thousand five, they uh, stopped doing anything like suicide bombings, um, but they were associated with that uh, with the attacks on uh, Israeli citizens, blowing up buses in Israel. Um, wow! Also, attacks on uh, soldiers, but you know, a whole so, set. So, of so, things. so they were they
0: they would they would attack like civilians as well. It, it, yeah, they would it they
1: would send uh, they would send people with bomb strapped. To them, you know, onto public buses in Israel and blow the buses up as uh, a form of warfare in Israel. Um, something that that further, I mean, if you think you're, you know, the Israeli people who always, always, already feel under threat, uh, given their history and narrative, um, yeah, that that'll that'll trigger you. I mean, you can't get on a bus in Israel for a good decade without being afraid that you'll never get off it again. Wow. Um, and and this, yeah. So so. In some ways, uh, like the PLO actually moderates, but then you've created Hamas, which then kind of takes over and moves into that more radical space. Now, we should also be careful. Um, While Hamas is in the West, seen primarily as a terrorist organization and all this, it should be noted that internal to Gaza, they're also like the Red Cross. OK,
0: um, <laughs> sorry, in my Western mind, terrorists and Red Cross right. don't exist. Those in don't go together, place, you know. Right, um, right. But
1: this is I mean, if you think about it, they're, they're Muslim. Um, Islam has uh, a great stress on taking care of the poor and the oppressed, and mm. uh, is opposed in many ways to like uh, Western economics and like interest-bearing systems and all of this. And Hamas, it, they have like soup kitchens, right? Um, mm. So the people in uh, Gaza and at times across. Palestine, like the people in the West Bank, look to Hamas and are like, "Well, you know what? Um, the PLO isn't really gaining anything for us, and Hamas is at least like fighting for it." So, mm. um, you know, for the Palestinian people who are always on edge between because. The Palestinian people somehow always just end up losing land, whatever strategy they take, Uh, whether it's Mm. participating in negotiations, whether it's fighting intifadas, whether it's they always end up losing more land. And so they keep looking around for any strategy that could Actually succeed. And at times it looks like, you know, maybe we should go with uh, like Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Uh, Maybe that's the way to go. Um, And actually, uh, for a time, the other thing is that the PLO um, looks pretty corrupt, Um, By this Mm. point, when they became mainstream, uh, some people also tended to make a lot of money off of uh, things that they could do with their government positions. And some of this also goes back to like Ottoman economics, because if you think about the feudal system, well, lords always made money and then helped the people out below them. Right. Uh, And in some ways, the PLO still functions on a system like that. So the people who are high up in the government, yeah, they get kickbacks and they get things like this. And so the common people oftentimes look at the PLO and they say, well, you're, you're a corrupt. Like Hamas, yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of radical, but they they at least are not making money off of this stuff. They're running soup kitchens. So, you know, where do we go? Do we go with the they're kind of-
0: They're in the trenches with us. Yeah,
1: exactly. I. Do we go with the mainstream upper-class politicians that seem to be making money off of us? Or do we go with Hamas, who's radical, but at least they seem to be fighting for us, right? Um, so for the average Palestinian person, it, it's a it's a mess um between those options um
0: so what do you know much about and i maybe you don't know the answer to this but like based on what you've read and your, your research do you know what it's like for the average palestinian to live you know either in the strip or or is, is it the west bank you said is that correct yeah in like, the west it, bank it, it, so is it like a middle class life or like what, what is it like so
1: better in the west bank than it is in gaza Gaza, basically, in 2005, Israel did a unilateral withdrawal from Gaza. They pulled their settlers out from Gaza, which seems like, oh, that would be a positive thing, except for that they did it basically so that they could set up an, an impenetrable barrier all around Gaza. Gaza basically becomes a large prison. Um, where Israel what? controls... Like
0: they can't travel out of it? They can't
1: travel out of it. You can't travel into it. Israel, in theory, controls all of the stuff going in and out, including, like, medicines. So uh, when the economy tanks there, when they don't have, like, medicines to run things, right, uh, there's just nothing they can do. Now, they don't... Uh, the the In Gaza, what they end up doing is, like, uh, digging holes underneath... Uh, and into Egypt, and getting things through Egypt, uh, smuggled into them. But basically, uh, Israel's plan is to just set Gaza outside of the realm of what they have to worry about if they could cut them off then they wouldn't be able to get missiles and they wouldn't be able to organize themselves to fight against Israel right, and so they basically
0: launch rockets over yeah
1: the- so in 2005 they do a unilateral withdrawal which could have been if it were a negotiated thing and actually something moving towards a plan of peace could have been awesome but it's unilateral they're not they didn't negotiate anything about it they pull them out and they try and establish basically a complete barrier around them.
0: And I'm assuming Israel would say, "Well, because they keep firing rockets." Yeah, no, I mean these are these are the, the people ourselves. that had
1: been sending, you know, uh, suicide bombers after us. So what do you want us mm. to do? And they're the people that continue every chance that they get, and they do. They get a hold of rockets, and even though the rockets that they get a hold of are like these handheld or often like homemade things, right? Um, they can shoot them into Israel, and every once in a while they'll hit near a home, um, and that's pretty constant that they do that when they get a hold of a rocket, um, they will do this. Um, And that's kind of what we've seen in the last, I mean, obviously what happened most recently was incredibly coordinated. Um, They had some very good stuff and people are going to be asking where they got that from. That's one of the big things that's going to happen. Um, But uh, this is, yeah, I mean, every chance that the people in Gaza get, they will fire missiles into Israel. Um, So they're not wrong that these people would try and destroy Israel if they got the chance. In the West Bank, it's better, but life is so broken up by the settlements that everything is frustrating. Um, mm. to you can't really get a good economy going because in order to move things from one place to another it takes so long to get around in order to have meetings uh, like uh, everything in life is a frustration and you've got to run through checkpoints at every point um, I was with uh, I was with one of the I was with a, a Palestinian guy there um, as we were going through the west Bank and uh, he always smile he gets to the the places where they have these breaks and he always smiles and his daughter always says don't smile at the occupier Right, mm. uh, but he's like, well, if I don't smile, they might not let us through. So I'm gonna right. smile at the occupiers, um, mm. which which just tells you, I mean, kind of the the life that they lead, right? They have to be how
0: old How old was his daughter when she said that? Um,
1: she was a teenager at the time.
0: Yeah. So this is young. Yeah. You know, yeah. From from the beginning, that that that's the perspective, right? Yeah. Is That the, these are occupied, these are occupiers in our land, and we can only hope one day for our liberation, yeah. for our for our and freedom, even. That kind of and And even
1: getting out of the West Bank, you you couldn't just come out of the West Bank into Israel. I mean, you'd have to have some reason, some security that you got past in order to do that. Um, So they're not as isolated as they are down in Gaza, but it's still just a pain to be able to do anything. And again, Israel controls what you can do. If you can leave, if you can come in, if you can travel internationally, like Israel is uh, basically in charge.
0: why? Why do you think um, there's been for what now since the for uh, What seventy years, 80, eighty? Yeah, seventy years, I guess at least. Um, why has there been no successful way to nav- negotiate peace? And I've heard this term called uh, a two-state solution before. You know, I, I mean, it feels like to me <laughs> in this conversation, it sounds like some European countries uh, did their imperialist thing. Uh, Mess the whole area up, and um, it's like, well, you're, you know, like, like the U.S. is one of the most powerful, you know, if not the most powerful nation in the world you couldn't like negotiate some kind of two state solution with these people. Like, and I asked that because I remember, I think Bill Clinton got like pretty close with something, something like what, what yeah. What are some of those dynamics for us to know about that have made this so impossible? Yeah. So
1: actually so back far- when Bill Clinton um, did his negotiations over it, what they did was they actually set up a kind of de facto, they broke the areas of the West bank into different sections, some of which would be under direct control of Israel, some of which they would allow the Palestinians to like have police control over right not military control, but like you would be able to have Palestinian police in that area like that was probably as close as we've come to anything like a two-state solution. I, the problem in part is that the two sides just start so far off from each other in terms of what yeah. their even beginning places are because a Palestinian starting point for negotiation is we want uh, we want the possibility of the return of refugees, which to Israel is just a non-starting point and Israel says, well, um, we want to maintain all of the space that we've got for settlers. Uh, So, you know, we need to at least uh, maintain that space in the West Bank. And the Palestinians are like, that's that's crazy. The West Bank doesn't function. It's, it's de facto like Israeli territory. So you can't do that. I mean, and their their starting points are so far off from each other that getting them to a place where they could actually agree would take a long time and would take a lot of pressure. And that, that's the other thing is nobody has had the will to make this happen. Um, mm. And then it goes back to things that we've discussed. I mean, like. People are still like, you don't want to abandon Israel, right? You don't want it. You don't want to ever look like you're saying right. we're not going to support you, Israel, because
0: yeah, the Holocaust, right? I mean, like right, yeah, that's right. that's and Jewish people are a minority group. Yeah. Right? They're like two percent of the population and they they face anti Semitism everywhere. And we're seeing a rise on in that with Christian nationalism in America, right? Yeah. So obviously no one that I know who's sane wants to be anti Semitic or wants the extermination of Jewish people right. to happen. Like that that is a bad thing. Yeah.
1: And to get get things more complicated and set up for your next thing, like Christian Zionism just makes this yeah. even more complicated, where there are people in the United it States really there you, yeah. there
0: you go. This book has saved my life. This one, right? Yeah. Here. A Short History of Christian Zionism. Yeah. Those yes. th- those yeah.
1: Christians who want Israel to spread over the land so that they can bring about Jesus re- re- returning to the world is just, right. all of that is is around. And uh, I think that that's made, the United States has never had a will to uh, get Israel into a position that it would have to negotiate. Um, the, the United States and Israel are very close together in terms of their developments of technology, of military strategy, of all of these things. And, uh, you know, I mean in some ways we've got a lot of our economy tied up with Israel too. And so we don't want to threaten those ties in any way and there's just never been a will as I said there's there's this kind of power differential where Israel has so much more power than the Palestinians. It would right. take somebody pushing down on Israel to get right. there to be a way to negotiate. Right. And even then, it's not clear that you would be able to come to any conclusion because the starting points are so difficult. So it's it's a, it right. would take a lot of pressure for a low chance of success. And that has always been the political problem uh, in sorting this out. And that, so this is notable is that really the most significant thing that's happened more recently was under the Trump administration, where the United States basically entirely abandoned the two-state solution.
0: Um, Talk to me about that. Unpack that for me.
1: So uh, Trump- Donald Trump, of course, a phenomenon in American politics. Uh, That's
0: putting it very nicely. Yeah. But yes, we, we'll call him a phenomenon. Yeah, a phenomenon. Fine.
1: Well, what was fascinating about Trump was he didn't feel limited by any history or logic <laughs> oftentimes. And so the yeah, logic, right. the logic of Israel-Palestine had always been the only way out is a two state solution. Like that's what you've got to come up with. And Trump just said, yeah, I don't think so. And so Trump reoriented American foreign policy in the region. So America's got a problem right now, which is that America went in, took out Iraq in the Middle East and Iraq and Iran had classically been kind of offsetting powers in the Middle East. And so they balanced each other. Well, once Iraq was gone, Iran was left to become a kind of regional superpower in the region. Mm. And the United States ever since then has had this problem, like, what do we do with Iran, right? How do we set up an offsetting power to Iran? Well, Trump had an idea, which is really fascinating, which is, what if we could get the Saudi Arabians, who are Sunni Muslims and the Israelis, who are like the the biggest, most powerful military in the region, what if we could get them together? And we could get them opposing Iran, right? Then we would reset up a kind of offsetting power system in the Middle East. But in order to do this, we need to get Saudi Arabia and Israel to get together, which is like, whoa, how are you going to do that, right? Right. Um, Right. So, uh, Trump just decided what we're going to do is we're going to approach Saudi Arabia directly with all the power of the United States and say, okay, do you want everything normalized? Do you want as good a relationship with the United States as you can? You need to recognize Israel. And Saudi Arabia, their hang-up has always been Palestine, right? So de facto, the effect of this was to say, you need to give up having a Palestinian state you need to get together with Israel and you need to focus on Iran which Saudi Arabia is against Iran and they see Iran as a problem and so like ah, ah, this is a fascinating like possibility and since then the United States has really uh, shifted even under the Biden administration they've still been following uh, what was what had shifted under the Trump administration to make their their focus not Israel, Palestine, and solving that problem, but uh, solving the Saudi Arabia-Israel problem, which really meant sidelining the Palestinians at all, saying wow. we're not going to we're we're going to get your your biggest supporter in the region, right, Saudi Arabia, to ignore what's going on with you, right, uh, to stop demanding that you get your own state. And uh, because it's more important for us that you two get together as an offset to Iran, uh, um, and uh, this this might play into Hamas's strategy. So Hamas right now is getting funding from Iran, and Iran would like to see the Israeli Saudi Arabian. Uh, kind of connection get broken apart. And so it might be that the part of this and what's happening is actually that uh, Iran funded Hamas in this attack because they want people in Saudi Arabia to come back and say, oh, no, don't forget the Palestinians and don't get together with those Isra- Israelis. So there's a lot of power politics that are happening in the region that's behind this. And I th- we still have to see because. Hamas didn't do this by themselves. Um, this was the latest attack was just incredible um, in terms of coordination, in terms of the rockets that they had, in terms of everything. Uh, it, it's so far out of scale of anything that they've done uh, in the recent past that it wouldn't surprise me if it turned out that Iran was like active in sorting some of this out, making sure that they got the weapons to do it. Uh, coordination and things like that, um, that that might be playing a role in here. Um, that's definitely nothing that Hamas is saying out loud, right? They they keep their usual justifications for this, which is uh, the refugees, the Western Bank, right? Uh, right. Al-Aqsa Mosque, right. all of those things. But there is right. in the background, this whole question of kind of power politics in the region that is probably playing in uh, to what's going oh. on right now.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's um, – I've been following the news on, on what's happening, and we're, we're going to have uh, another conversation about that on uh, a different episode. But, um, man, it just seems like for all of these power politics, there are so many people who suffer immense loss, yeah. you know, losing children and, and – and- you know, families and husbands and mothers and fathers. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it just is heartbreaking, especially when you see the pictures of the kids, man. I mean, that oh, yeah. one for me it just, I have, I have two kids under three and like, it, it just, I don't have any words. Like it makes me speechless. Yeah, no, and, and on all sides. I mean, Hamas know? has taken so
1: has taken hostages of whole families um, and yeah. pulled them back into the Gaza Strip. Um, they probably are hoping to do a prisoner exchange with Israel, yeah. but... Honestly, Israel is so angry at this point. I don't know that that'll happen because they might just say, We are not going to negotiate with terrorists. Um, it's entirely possible that this just goes in that direction. I,
0: well, I, I believe that that Netanyahu you know, gave a warning to citizens of Palestine to get out, but it's like we're well, working the blockade. No, you know, <laughs> yeah. located, you know? no like, that's I mean, geez, where, I mean, where more, are
1: you going to go? <laughs> where
0: I, are you going to go? Yeah, you know. And
1: this is another thing is that I mean, the the government in Israel has in the last decade been extremely right wing and has been uh, basically they were you know they were the ones pushing for Trump's change in policy part uh, to undermine the idea. When you the say
0: right-wing, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, Kevin, but when you say right-wing, are you talking about like how most of us think about right-wing in the American... You know, political discourse, or is the right wing there different?
1: I think right wing is typically uh, antithetical to the stu- two-state solution, would like okay. to get rid of the two-state solution, would like to have a state of Israel, um, would like to just say they annexed uh, the West Bank and they can do anything that they want to there. Um, uh, it, most currently, uh, they they face the Israeli government, the right wing Israeli government has faced objections from the judicial a branch of the Israeli government who's complaining about them violating Israeli law by supporting settlers. And so the most recent thing that Netanyahu did was basically to try and take the power away from the judicial branch um, so that the judicial branch could wow. no longer limit him in doing whatever he wanted to. Um, some of the protests that were going on about that have actually been suspended now because of the Hamas attack. Um, the more kind of liberal branches of Israel were protesting his attempts to take over the judicial branch. Um, so,
0: so Israel has people who are all on all different sides of some of these conversations? Yeah.
1: They're on all different sides. Um, I I would, I mean, I think everybody in Israel is a Zionist in the sense of thinking that Israel should have a state, right? Right. Um, Sure. but they disagree severely on like how to make sense of settlers, how to make sense of, you know, how exactly what does that state look like? How much should Mm. you negotiate? How much there's lots of disagreement on this. Um, yeah so I mean the the right wing has really uh, pushed this both that and religiously. i mean they are they are in lockstep with the settler movement at this point, and in lockstep, unfortunately, with some of the people that are signaling that they just want to take over the Temple Mount and build a second temple, which is you know might bring you back to the Zionism discussion, um the right. you know, Christian Zionism discussion, but right. Um, yeah, and it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting to see for the future what happens to the Israeli government because I suspect uh, somebody's going to get in trouble for this, and uh, it's entirely possible that in the long run Netanyahu actually loses his job because they somehow didn't stop Hamas from being able to carry out this absolutely incredible attack on Israel. Um, now what that brings, I don't know, because, uh, obviously it's not going to bring a shift further left because people are, are going to be so mad at Hamas that they're still right. going to want. Right. Um, oh, totally this, but
0: plus you have, you have, especially if it comes out that, you know, Iran definitely did fund some of this stuff and it's it's going to make the whole, it's only going to make the powder keg even more volatile. Yeah. Long story I, short.
1: This was so for Shin Bet, who is the, the intelligence, like internal intelligence, kind of like the FBI for the United States, uh, the, they're, they're the head of, the, of Shin Bet is, I would imagine, going to get fired as soon as there's an opportunity to get rid of him. This was such a colossal failure on behalf of Israel and Israel's uh, intelligence and everything else, um, because this is exactly what Israel is designed not to let happen. Um, right. And so the fact that it happened is just going to lead to uh, a lot more um, kind of a mess, even in Israeli politics.
0: No, I I mean from what I can gather so far from the language of Netanyahu from the 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 language of uh, even the US I mean even this this podcasting platform where I logged in today had a, a major banner of 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 who they're siding with you know and just that they unequivocally condemn the they use the word barbaric actions uh and so it just seems like um Frankly, Kevin, if I could be honest with you, it seems like one hell of a clusterfuck. Oh, yeah. I wish I had a different language for it. But like based on, on this conversation and the history and how we got here, I mean, my God, it is just a continual no win situation where a lot of people who probably didn't even have a choice to end up where they ended up. Right. Are now under either some kind of occupation or are are were, were born into a nation state that they had no control over making uh, who now are the, are the newest targets, you know, of, of one side or the other for whatever reason that they have. And that's just I mean, I think that's the worst part about this is that it just seems like. I mean, listen. It's one thing when when a war breaks out, but usually the whole goal is to find a solution to ending the war. This situation just feels like one that goes on into infinity. How how do you rec- reconcile this without without one completely annihilating the other, which would be just a a, a complete crisis and another a huge moment in, in in human history? Of oh my god, I can't believe that actually happened. And I, God forbid it gets there. Hopefully, it doesn't. But what other option is there? It seems like at this yeah. point.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I do think um, H. Richard Niebuhr, one of my favorite theologians, talked about uh, war as crucifixion. Um, mm. The idea that, right, uh, war is a place where the innocent die, where the innocent suffer. And I think we could expand yeah. that out to say, in this case, politics is crucifixion. Like there has been so much of innocent people suffering Um through through the mixed motives, in part good, in part, you know, uh, blinded to what they were doing, all the different parties coming in and doing what they thought was best, but, you know, not seeing what the outcomes were going to be and being insufficiently critical of their own position and how they were bringing harm to other people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, I appreciate your time. I mean, you gave us, I think, a, a great hour and 20-minute crash course to give us some kind of context to, you know, when when we see headlines and see news, just have a better understanding of, okay, this is some of the history behind it. Um, so thanks for your time. It means the world. Um, if folks want to hear more from you, where where, where can they find that?
1: Um, I am on uh, tickety Talk. I'm on TikTok. Uh, so oh, cool. um, you can come find me there. I rant about theology and philosophy and all sorts of things. Uh, not usually, I don't do as much of the politics I've, every once in a while, but uh, yeah, mostly theology is. and philosophy on there.
0: Well, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. It's, it's obvious that, that, that you've uh, studied this stuff and have experienced it. So thanks for your help. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All right.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Thanks.